ready to create and grow the impactful and profitable business you've been dreaming of? It's all possible. A bigger audience, more impact, and a new revenue stream. We'll show you how. I'm Jenny Barcelos. And I'm Sandy Connery. And this is the Soulful MBA Podcast. everyone and welcome to episode 27 of the Soulful MBA podcast. Today's episode is all about tribe. I'm Jenny Barcelos and I'm joined with my co-host Sandy Conry. Hey Sandy. Hi Jenny. And today we're going to talk all about how to grow a community that is deeply invested in your work and that you are in turn deeply invested in their success. So we get asked all the time, especially from our new clients onto our platform or into our Soulful MBA program, How many people do I need to have following me on Instagram or how many Facebook fans or how many people on my email list before I can start to grow and build a business that's sustainable? And the hard part about that question is that there's no really good answer to give them um, around the question that they're asking. So part of the reason we wanted to have this podcast is sort of to go deep into the conversation that we think needs to happen in the online business space and in the online wellness space so that those of you who are curious about that can know our true feelings about it and sort of what we knew going in from reading and learning about marketing and business, but also what we've had to learn through kind of the school of hard knocks on our own. Mm -hmm. I think everybody who starts would love just to be given a set of numbers. Like once you have 2000 followers on Instagram, then go ahead and create that membership. Or once you have, you know, 500 on your email list, then now you can go and do this, but it just isn't that black and white. It isn't that simple. And I think people are missing the point about quality versus quantity. We're all focused on quantity and you can have like, because you have a hundred thousand followers on Instagram doesn't mean they're going to buy anything from you. Right. That's certainly and, true. And we know we have friends who have a hundred thousand followers on Instagram who we can attest to the fact that they've shared with us that that that's not necessarily the makings of a sustainable business. No, it feels good. Like, right. I, you know, yeah, it's sort yeah, of like sure. bragging rights. Ego. And uh, ego. Yeah, my nice ego is fed. I'd be, my, yeah, for sure. I would love it if we had 100,000. It would feel great, but it does not a business make. And the fact when you go to ask those 100,000 people to buy something from you, that's the true test. That's when you know that these are followers and fans and you're part of your true like inner circle or your tribe. And so that's the conversation that we um, want to have is to take away the quantitative nature of this conversation and make it about a really true loyal drop anything and do drop everything and do anything for you kind of fans. Yeah. And I think we all can relate to having these kind of (laughs) Sandy's wearing Mardi Gras beads and we can see each other because we're on video chat and um, she's just doing a little dance, which dance with my beads. Luckily, the rest of you aren't privy to right now. So, so anyway, so we wanted to get into the distinction between tribe versus audience and to talk about why it's really important to cultivate a tribe or a true community of fans around what you're building online, because that's how you cr- create a sustainable empire. So going back to our empire analogy, you want to make sure that you're really building something that's meaningful for people in their lives, because that is what's going to ensure that you have some sort of stability in your business. And it's also going to help you get the feedback that you need to know that you're doing meaningful work, right? Because some is not going to become a true fan or a true member of your tribe unless you're creating something that's meaningful to them. 
So we're going to dig all into that. And just to, again, reference Seth Godin, Seth Godin has a very famous book called Tribes, which has deeply informed our work for years and years and years. And so obviously everything that sort of like we're talking about is built off of that body of work. So we just don't want to take credit for this. Um, but just know that Seth, Seth has informed us a tremendous amount and we're going to be referencing him mm-hmm. throughout this episode. Yeah, I think I think uh, from, I think it was Seth that I learned this, that like it's not just a click that makes a fan or a follower. It's that they share the same values as you or they share the same ideas and interests and you know goals. That's what makes somebody buy from you or one of your products, it's not just that they quickly, you know, double tapped on Instagram. Yeah. Yep. So let's go ahead and dive in. And I think, so the first part of this conversation today, we're going to be focusing on the distinction between tribe and audience and audience is a really uh, common thing for you to measure. So let's just talk about audience first. Audience is how many social followers you have, how many people are on your email list, how many people are clicking to your website, how many people are you actually reaching with what you're building. And so though it's important to track those metrics, they're meaningful in many ways. So they're, they're, they're useful data for you. It's good to know where your, you know, where your clicks are coming from to your website. It's useful to know where you have the biggest resonance on social, like, and so where you should spend your time. All of that data is important, but in a way it's not, it doesn't translate to becoming particularly meaningful, at least not necessarily in your business's success. So audience is one thing. It's the numbers, it's the data, it's the stats. So you want to track it, but we're going to talk about today is different than that. We're going to talk about like your true fans, your true followers, your tribe, the people who live in your digital empire. And we're also going to heavily reference Kevin Kelly's article, a thousand true fans. So Sandy, I talked to you about this article yesterday and I guess you had not read it yet, but it's something that I... I read, I've been reading over and over for years and it informs a lot of my thinking about building an online community. And so I think maybe a lot of folks in our audience haven't read this. It's sort of a seminal article and I know that it's gotten a lot of increased attention recently because it's referenced in Tim Ferriss's newest book, Tools of Titans, which I haven't read. Um, but I know, I know that because Kevin Kelly did like a brief rewrite of the article in the wake of that book coming out, which I, which I imagine some of you have read. And this article, I think makes the best case for entrepreneurs and creatives to be able to build a life and a living for themselves online. Once they're able to create a relationship to a thousand true fans. So Sandy, what was your initial takeaway when you read the article? Cause you were sort of blown away by it. I was blown away. First of all, like, have I been hiding under a rock all these years? And why <laughs> did I not know about this article? Cause it's been out since 2008 or something like that, or yeah. like a number of years anyway. And this is like the best example of explaining what I think we kind of know and have experienced with our own businesses, but haven't been able to actually say it to our clients. And this, so to be, if you are in our Soulful MBA program, this is now going to be required reading. Like you have to, I will force you to read this because it puts everything into perspective. And so I think that, um, you know, as we build our audiences and our tribes online, we're trying to go for like big numbers, like thousands and millions. And, and he's like, you just need a thousand people. You just need 1000 people to buy from you you know, with a profit of a hundred dollars and you can make a great living. Yeah. And he says, you need a thousand people who are willing to spend a hundred dollars 
on you every year on average. And then that hundred dollars needs to be profit. So, right. So if you have something, something that doesn't have a high profit margin, then obviously those numbers are skewed. But if you're a service-based business where you're selling a digital product or something like that, then yes, it's a, it's a hundred dollars on average per person. So you, if you can do the math, a thousand people spending on average a hundred dollars a year with you is a hundred thousand dollars. And his, his belief is that that's enough for you to make a living as an artist, as a creative, as an entrepreneur, so that you can then do, you know, do what you want to do with your life and, and create your art, create your work and make a, I think what many people would consider a very generous living. And, and I think that that's great math. And he also says that that's for a single person, right? So if you have a team, if there are two of you, then you need to have 2,000 true fans. And if there are four of you on your team, then 4,000. Or you need to be able to get $400 per year on average, right? So he he has, I mean, it, you can you can see how it's a really simple little math calculation that how does every person who's participating in your project get $100,000 per year from mm-hmm. that endeavor? And and his his math is is... It's very clean and it's, I I think, a really tidy way to think about what you're doing. Like you need, it it helps me in my, in my mind to think, what can I do that's going to create enough value that a thousand people want to sign up for it, right? Like what can I do that's compelling and meaningful enough and different enough and special enough, right? And brave enough that a thousand people are going to feel compelled to participate at that level because a hundred dollars is not insignificant. Right. So I, I, I think it's sort of a call to action from, you know, a creative standpoint to think, you know, where can I create that value? I think that a thousand just somehow makes it feel so much more doable that there, I know people want a number to aim for. So I think this is a great number. It doesn't mean a thousand in your Facebook group. It doesn't mean a thousand on Instagram, but a thousand true fans. And I love his distinction between somebody that is just um, like a regular fan versus a true or super fan. And so I think that's worth defining. And so his definition is like that super fan is somebody who will pre-buy that book before they even know what it's about, or they will drop everything and travel to come hear you speak or, you know, anything that you're pre-selling, you know, whatever you do, they will absolutely buy from you. Yeah. They'll be the beta testers for your next project or your next product that you're putting out. They will buy whatever you're making, whatever you're selling. They're, they're the first buyers. And so, I don't know, that just made a lot of sense to me. And he's like, he said that there will also be like other fans um, around that may occasionally purchase, which will kind of, you know, add to your income. Um, but that's not where that, you know, that, that his math doesn't include those. Those are just sort of extra sales. Um, but you always focus on those true fans when you build something or create something. It's all for that inner, inner, inner circle of your true fans. You don't try to build something for that slightly bigger circle of the regular fans. Right. So this really also resonates with the idea of having quintessential clients and right. creating content for your th- that particular kind of client. So, I, you know, I, I think this is easier said than done, right, Sandy, because you want to appeal to everyone. You want to you want to make sure that what you're what you're making is meaningful for a large group of people. I think we all have that desire. But from a business standpoint, 
every single thing that I've learned in my three and a half years in business, which is not very much, like I I always want to preface that I know that's not very much, but every single thing that I've learned, every lesson has retaught me the same thing that you need to focus, focus, focus. And, um, and this article I think just continues to make the case for it. And, and also Seth Godin, the, the way I found Kevin Kelly's article was reading tribes, you know, however many, three years ago. And he referenced this Thousand True Fans article in that book. And I just want to read a little quote from Tribes where Seth is talking about this book because I think he says it better than pretty much anyone else can say it. And he says, too many organizations care about numbers, not fans. They care about hits or turnstile clicks or media mentions. What they're missing is the depth of commitment and interconnection that true fans deliver. Instead of always being on the hunt for one more set of eyeballs, true leaders have figured out that the real win is turning a casual fan into a true one. And so I think it just makes a case for how can you take this existing audience that you've built on social media and through email and how what can you do with that group of people that you've already started to gather to convert them from being just sort of a casual member of your audience to becoming a true fan or a true participant in what you're building and creating in the world. And obviously there's no easy answer, right, Sandy? But Mm -hmm. I think it gives you some, you know, a guidepost to start from. And part of the way that you figure that out is to actually interact and talk with those people. (laughs) So that's, yeah, that's one of his points is that you actually have to get and engage with these people, you Mm -hmm. know, and I love his sort of historical look back. Like if you were an author or an artist that, you know, somebody else would be selling your wares and you would not necessarily have a direct relationship with your customers. Like it, you didn't really have those super fans uh, because there was a, an intermediary there. There was a middle person selling, but this digital world we now live in allows you to attract and connect um, and engage and talk to people directly. And that is the best way to create these super fans that will follow you anywhere and buy anything you're offering. Yeah. And it also shows that, yeah, in this new modern economy where we're selling digital goods and services and products, it's actually an incredible asset and opportunity for you as an individual or as a very small business, because he talks about that the corporations and intermediaries and and big companies that you and I have all heard of are under-equipped and ill-suited to really connect with true fans. So that you being a small, either a solopreneur or a small business have this incredible leverage in this new economy to build those true relationships in a way that big businesses are ill-equipped to be able to do. So you need to look at what you have by being small as an asset here. Yeah, and he and I think he also makes the case for niching niching down, right? So oh, that yeah. it is now he he he's like everything is one click away. So kind of the mainstream topics or interests that are out there are one click away, but so are the more obscure topics. So if you are teaching in a really 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 niche market, there's still a thousand people that will 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 have the same interests or the same have a need that you can, you know, fill. And so it's one click away to be super specific in whatever you're offering. And it's just as easy to find that as all the mainstream topics. That was really interesting. Yeah. And, and I love the way he illustrated that point in that article. Like that stuck with me. He's, he Mm -hmm. says something like if you live in one of the 2 million small towns in the world and you happen to have a fascination for left-handed fishing reels, like before now you would have been alone in that 
fascination. You wouldn't have been able to build build fishing reels for left-handed people in your town and make a living or enjoy that in any way or enjoy the benefit of that. But now that's actually something you can do because of the internet. You can actually create a company around that and a community around that. It's just, and I mean, he has like other examples too, but that one just sort of always stuck with me that it's, it can be so incredibly specific. And if you're really devoted to finding those people and serving those people and building something with those people, that there's just a huge opportunity for you there. Mm -hmm. I think he says there's no product. um, Yeah, no product, no idea, no desire without a fan base on the internet. Yeah, right. So, you know, no matter how, like, I think people are a little bit timid or a little bit afraid to go too too narrow. But like this just states it clearly, like, be really specific, really niche. And you'll find that those thousand, those thousand people. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've seen that happen with us. Right. So I, I think, um, I have fought, I fought really hard when we were going through our accelerator and down the fundraising track to keep what we were building niche down and to make the case for why that was valuable. And I, I think if you're trying to scale something to a billion dollar unicorn, that's really hard. And so that's part of why we are not a good fit for sort of the venture capital world, Sandy, because we have this belief in building deep community, like deeply rooted, a deeply rooted fan base where we're interacting with people, knowing their needs and serving them well. And so this idea of trying to reach a lot of people with a shallow product didn't appeal to either of us in in a meaningful way. And it doesn't mean that you cannot build a business like that. But now we are in this age where that is particularly suited for building these niche down businesses that are extremely meaningful to a small group of people. And, um, and so we do that with our software, right? And now we teach other people in wellness and related industries to do that with their audience. And I, I don't know, it's so incredibly rewarding and such a great opportunity for a business. It's, I don't know, it's way more fun. Yeah. Like, I don't want to be at the top of some corporation, have no contact with the people that purchase our products or like that, that does not appeal to me at all, but to have these relationships and yeah, it takes work. Like there's effort to talk with and support and, you know, answer the questions and to, but that's so much more meaningful. And, and like I said, so much more fun every day is more enjoyable. Well, it's emotional labor, right? So that's, that's another Seth that's another Seth conversation is just the value of emotional labor. And in, we've talked about this before in the podcast where increasingly as jobs are being outsourced to machines, to, to robots, to artificial intelligence, that what artificial intelligence is not able to replicate and do better and easier and faster and cheaper than humans is emotional labor. So it's just, it's also building an added job security for yourself and financial security for yourself when you are, when you've learned how to provide emotional labor for people, because that like, you're golden, right? Like if you can find a thousand people that want what you have to sell and you're really there and serving them, well, you're set up. Mm-hmm. It's ama- It's really amazing. Yeah, I just, I love the simplicity of it. This podcast is brought to you by the Namastream software platform. Namastream is a tool designed to help you teach, train, and coach from anywhere on the planet. If you're a wellness professional looking to take your business to the next level, you can learn more at namastream.com. So do you want to move into like, give them some ideas on how to find and grow their tribe? 
Yeah, sure. So we're also heavily referencing a blog post from our own blog that we wrote a couple of weeks ago in, in this podcast. So it's all sort of meta and interconnected. But we have a blog post that we put out on this topic um, called How to Build Community and Grow Your Tribe Online, which we'll, we will, of course, link to in the show notes. And in this blog, we talk about some very kind of concrete strategies that you can use to, to build your own tribe. So it's not just to build an audience to get email signups, but it's how do you actually how do you build engagement and community around your product or service or business? So the first way that you can build your own tribe is to join and start relevant groups. So ideally you're joining other communities that are serving your quintessential client all over the internet. So those can be things like Facebook groups or communities on Reddit or, you know, wherever your people are hanging out. And ideally you want to start your own. So going back to Seth Godin here, Seth has a a TED talk on this topic as well, tribes. And he pointed out that tribes make our lives better and leading a tribe is the best life of all. So it's one thing to participate and serve within another person's group or another business's group, but it's a whole other endeavor to create your own and really sort of be the leader or the empress of your own group. And so ultimately that's what we would encourage everyone to do, but not to just make a group to make one, right? Not just to make one and gather people, but really to serve them and be present. And then the next point is to engage and support others. So you can do this through a group, but you, there's, there are a million other ways you can like repost. If someone wrote something that's meaningful, you can repost it and share it with your community. You can retweet, you can share an article on medium that you read that was interesting to you. You can write a letter to someone who has written a post that resonated with you or review a podcast that resonated with you or send an email to a podcast host who was talking about a conversation that was meaningful to you. Don't do it just to do it. It's not about having a spreadsheet and tracking these conversations. Like this is about actually just letting people know when something that they've done has impacted you. I think it's one of the most amazing things when people reach out and tell you that your work has really touched them or made them, you know, make a different decision or go down a different route or just, you know, entertain them in whatever way. I mean, no matter who you are on the internet and how much sort of celebrity status or you know famous you are, I don't, it, it just feels so good to, you remember the people that retweet you or make a comment on your blog or, you know, comment on your Instagram. And obviously there's so much, so many bots doing that and you can just spot that a mile away. So if we have people who generally comment, it just means so much. So I would encourage as part of engaging your followers, start just writing really nice comments or send an email with a thank you or whatever. I yeah, think and, it just had and a huge impact. I just want to say too, like do it, do it from a place of generosity and kindness, and don't necessarily expect to hear anything back. Mm-hmm. I think that that's the other part. Is I'm not as good as you are, Sandy, at responding to every nice thing that someone sends us. It touches me. I'm a, I'm a complete introvert, right? And you're not. You're an extrovert, and I also am overwhelmed by my life, and I just simply cannot respond to everything, but I actually read everything that comes in that, that is forwarded to me or that comes into my own inbox. And I feel, I often feel very moved, um, sometimes to the point of like emotionally moved by it. And I try to send a quick note. Sometimes I don't, because I don't want to just write two sentences to someone that wrote something that 
that changed my life, right? I need to be able to take time and write something very heartfelt back if I'm going to write anything. And I, I just think just from the other side of it, I, that was one of the biggest lessons that I learned sort of as an entrepreneur and even before starting a company, just in sort of the social justice and nonprofit space and activist space that I needed to reach out to people that had done something meaningful to me and not expect a return right away from it or ever that the act of me sharing how something had changed me or the act of me sending a kind note had to be enough for me. And I didn't, I couldn't rely on hearing back from them. So I, I just think that's also part of it too, is that like the energy is there. Don't expect some sort of trackable return on that, like on that engagement. You, or you invite need, to write a blog. Or, yeah, or like you, you need to do that from a place of, you know, feeling compelled and moved in your own heart and not expect something in return. Yeah, no and expectations. Like, right. Mm-hmm. So that's all. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And then to be authentic to, and I think we kind of touched upon this, is to be really honest and really open and share how it affected you or share what you loved or, you know, maybe it's not even, you know, the other option here is also just to share the the actual um, blog post or whatever with other people and let them know that this was important or moving or whatever. So it's just, yeah, just being yourself. I don't. Yeah. And I think it's also being vulnerable. Like I, I remember when, when we put this blog out, like to me, vulnerability was, key to this point, because it's, I think it's really easy, at least for those of us that are introverted, when we're starting to build a presence online, I remember, and I still have this fear to be totally honest. I'm really afraid of opening up widely. Like I, I'm a really private person. I have very, very close relationships with a small group of people and everyone else. I sort of try to keep at arm's length because just I'm I'm shy, right? Like I like to protect myself. I'm not shy with my friends, but I'm shy with pretty much everyone else. And I, I have found vulnerability to be really challenging for me publicly. I'm very, it's very easy for me to be, be vulnerable once I'm comfortable with another person or in a very small group of people, but it's very, very challenging to be, to, I think for anyone to be vulnerable, truly vulnerable on the internet. And it doesn't mean you need to bear every personal secret or thought to the world, but it does mean, I think, allowing bits and pieces of yourself to come out. Like even for me, I'll just say we send out a newsletter every week (laughs) and I write a letter like recapping our week, sharing things. And I always put something personal and um, it makes me a little uncomfortable, to be honest. But we've heard from enough people that they they like reading like the two little sentences I write about whatever personal thing I want to say in that newsletter that somehow that can make connect with someone. I am, I'm comfortable doing that, but it, it's really hard for me. It's still hard for me, you know, a year and a half in to doing that. Even I'm not even saying anything that personal, but still anything personal is hard for me. But I'm reading this book right now. Yeah. This is what I'm reading. This is what my family's doing this weekend. Or I read this article and it deeply moved me and you should read it too. Like just even that much is really hard for me. But I, I think that that's where you start to see that tribe form and those connections really form when you're willing to say something that's hard. And for you, that might not be Sandy, that would not be hard for you to say. Right. Mm -hmm. But there are other things that, that are hard. And like, Mm -hmm. I think it's a matter you know, for each person, what it means for you to be vulnerable. People can feel that. I just, there's an energetic shift that happens there, right? It's all Brene Brown stuff, but like it's, it's important. It's an important part of building a tribe. That's all. Mm Yep. Being real. Okay. Also to consider creating collaborative offerings. 
Yep. So guest posts. Yeah, this is all about joint ventures and guest posts and creating products or programs or services or offers together. This is about inviting people on to your Facebook into your Facebook group to do to have a conversation with you in Facebook Live. It's about putting yourself out there to guest post on other people's blogs. Like this is about being willing to sort of break out of your own brand and your own sort of business focus and invite other people in and be willing to go out and sort of be on the stage for others. And again, if you're introverted, this can be challenging, but this is really important to building a tribe. It doesn't happen. This is not your like, hi, I'm Sandy. Can I do a come on to your podcast? Um, There has to be a bit of relationship building prior to this happening. But once, because you've been tweeting and commenting and liking and sharing, um, you'll start to show up on people's radar. And then, you know, there's, you know, eventually kind of a relationship will strike up. And that's when you can start talking about collaboration or get on getting on a probably a a real life conversation should probably happen first. So a Skype call or a whatever a chat video chat, and meet the person in real life or and figure out what you can do together. But this is not a cold like, hey, come into my Facebook and do a QA. and a Without no, any relationship nobody before. wants anyone to use them or to be used by anyone. Nobody wants that, right? So this is just about like if you're here for the long haul, you're building a business and an income around your own service. Like this is about being real and building real authentic relationships, right? Okay, so then the the final point, I think the tactic or strategy that we want to talk about in terms of how to build a tribe is in, involving kind of live interaction. That's what we blogged about. But it's really about being imperfect. I would say this is about like, we're so often everything that we put out every blog post or every video is like highly edited and beautifully designed. And we're trying to do our best. Right. And there's nothing wrong with putting out your best work, but there's, there's also this great opportunity now online to do live video on almost every platform. And I think that that allows people to see kind of the messier side of you and your life, right? Like you're not going to say everything perfectly and be able to edit it out. Like you're not going to have the perfect lighting when you're walking down the street and holding your phone in front of you as you're doing an Instagram story. I think it's people are fascinated mm-hmm. by other people's lives. And you might, you might trip as you're doing that walking oh, Instagram, which is hilarious. You know, like that's like real life or your yeah. dog might bark or Whatever. Yeah, I know yeah. there's a couple of podcasts I've been listening to lately and the lady's dog is barking and she's like, oh my God, I'm so sorry, the dog. And I find it kind of charming. Like this is my struggle and her struggle is our darn dogs always barking in the background. Um, and I don't, I don't judge her for having a mistake or a, a flub or whatever. Like, I think it's great. It makes me feel like a normal person when I see other people, you know, kind of mess up a little bit or not be perfect. It makes me happy. It makes me happy too. Well, and I also think for those of us that have any kind of perfectionist tendencies, this sort of new innovation of live streaming is really great because we see everyone else's imperfections and it sort of allows us to do it ourselves. So so to me, it's also an empowering thing to do to show your mistakes or your imperfections because what you're doing is showing your community like, look, hey, I'm not perfect. You can do this too. Even if you're not saying that, your actions are saying that because you're willing to put something out that isn't perfect. So um, those are all important tactics. Those are just some, a handful of, I think, relevant tactics for many of you in our audience for how to start building a tribe. There are, of course, a million ways to build a community, right? And we're going to talk a little bit more at the end of the podcast about some other, like, less 
tactical internet business ways to do this, but those are just some ways. Okay, and then we also wanted to talk about beyond the strategies for building a tribe. Like we talked about what a tribe is and why fans, like true fans are important. We talked about some of the strategies that you can use in your life and business to build your own tribe. And now we kind of want to talk about what a tribe can do, like what it can mean for you and your business and your life beyond earning a living from having a tribe and cultivating and serving a tribe, a tribe like very tactically can provide resources for your business. Really valuable resources. Yeah. Like Critically important resources. Critically. Like I would say that if you don't do this, that you're very likely to fail. If you're not using the tribe and listening to the tribe, you're not building what they want. You're not, it's, it's just going to fall apart. So our first point is about using your tribe as beta testers. Yeah. So we have seven, seven reasons that a tribe can serve your business pretty much right away. So the first one that Sandy said is It's a built-in group of people who can beta test your next product or service. The second point is launch support. So this sort of helps get the word out when you're doing a launch. So they're the people that are going to be posting all over social without even really even being asked, right? They're going to be, hey, look what I'm signing up for. This is so amazing. You need to do this too. This is going to change your life, right? Like you need people. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you want people, obviously you need to do your part and ask for things, but you want to have that core group of people that are going to promote you without you even asking them. So that's like, that's the level of, service you want to provide. You want to make sure that what you're doing is so meaningful to them that they're going to go out and sort of shout from the rooftops about what you're building because it matters to them. Okay. So the third point is sounding boards. So this is really helpful for those of us who are in in any beginning stage of our business. It's really helpful to have people to go to when you get stuck. So you might not think about your core customers or clients as these people, but they really can be. And again, this is a way for you to show your vulnerability. You don't want to go to your email list or your Facebook fan group of people, right? Like, and say, Hey, I'm stuck. What should I do? But for your, your first, you know, handful of clients or customers, the people that are going to buy everything you sell, the people who are going to shout from their rooftops, those are also people you can turn to when you have questions or you're running into roadblocks and you still can go sort of as a servant leader, I feel like to people and say, Hey, I'm still in a position of leadership, but I'm running into something. And as a leader, And as a responsible leader, I am asking for guidance because I want to make sure that the decision I make is informed by what you need. So then that turns them into a super, super, (laughs) super fan because they love you for asking, you know, their opinion. Yeah. And, you know, we've seen this happen with our software too. When we ask for feedback on what a feature should look like, for example, this is a very specific example, but I I think it helps to illustrate this, right? We will go to a small group within our client pool and we will say, should we do this or this? Should we make this box look like this or this? Should we have this integrate with this service or this service? And then when we actually do what they tell us, they're really happy, right? Because Mm -hmm. we built what they wanted and we listened to them and we paid attention to them and we gave their voice meaning. And I think you don't need to be a software company to do this. You can do this with whatever you're creating. You can say, hi, I want to make, you know, a cleanse for pre-summer detox or 
I don't know. <laughs> Something like, I don't know what I'm do talking about. Do you want about. it in audio or do you want it in a PDF? Yeah. Do you both. want it to be six weeks or 12 weeks? Do you want to have a community support or do you want to have one-on-one with me? Those are the kinds of things. And then you go and actually make what they say. Those people are going to be really grateful, right? So I think this is just, again, showing vulnerability and showing that you you really care what they have to say. So win-win. Okay, another another benefit that a tribe can bring to your business is the benefit of crowdsourcing. So crowdsourcing is sort of all the rage on the internet, you know, and there I think are over 200 crowdsourcing platforms, yeah, I read which that. is yeah. wild. Um, so crowdsourcing is something that we should all consider. And we, we do crowdsourcing without any kind of platform, right? It's called pre-selling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's the way that we decide... It's the way that we we provide big feature updates or that we were able to rebuild our software or that we built our software from the beginning. So we go and we say, what do you all want? Okay, pay us for it now at a discount and we'll go build it for you. And we've got to get enough people to do that and then we can afford to build it, right? And so that is our way of crowdsourcing, but you could do it on Kickstarter or GoFundMe or you know one of the 198 plus other platforms and you can just do it a million ways. And I think it's, it's a really powerful way to validate your business idea and provide predictability in your business. Okay. And then the next benefit of a tribe is honest feedback. So sometimes you make a mistake <laughs> yep, and they will let you know, they will hold you accountable and that this happens all the time for us. And it is sometimes hard to get some tough love but it also is what keeps you honest, right? So I think part of being an, being the leader of your digital empire, being an empress, owning that position of authority is also being willing to accept feedback when you're not doing something perfectly. And sometimes you already knew that you had messed up and sometimes it's being brought to your attention. But either way, being an open channel for that feedback is part of your role as a leader. And it provides you with tremendous value in order to improve. Two more. The next one is ego boosts. So this is just sort of a special feel good benefit of having a tribe. And that is that it's always a resource for you to draw the good feelings from. (laughs) So when you're having a hard day, you're stumbling, or you just need a little boost of morale, your tribe is going to be there to cheer you on. So You probably already knew that, but if you aren't using your core group of fans and followers and clients for this purpose, draw on that. Like, look, when I feel tired and don't want to podcast, I just go and read our reviews. And we don't have that many reviews in iTunes, but we have them sort of plastered all over our inbox and random Facebook groups and even in iTunes. And I will go and read those reviews and it makes me feel like, okay, this is if this is meaningful to someone, I'm going to go do it, even though I'm tired and I want to go to bed, right? So it's it's always a good thing to have. Um, and then the final point, the final way that tribes can serve you in your business is to create networking opportunities. And we have an entire podcast on networking. So you can go back and listen to that one. We'll link to it in the show notes. But networking is an incredibly important and powerful tool to use in growing your business and sustaining it. And this is your tribe can be the place that you're drawing partnerships from people in your tribe can be promoting you to be a guest on people's podcasts or to write a guest post for someone else who maybe you never would have had the audacity to reach out to yourself. Like there are a lot of great 
networking opportunities that come into our inbox because our clients set us up with people, right, that we never even knew of. And so I think just knowing that that is a huge sort of side benefit of having a tribe as well is that those people, even though they're your clients or your customers or your super fans, they're also people that are sort of taking a vested interest in your success beyond their own, you know, sort of experience with you as an individual client. So that's a great benefit. Okay. Should we get into the joy and hustle? Let's do joy and hustle. Yep. Let's start with the joy. Okay. So the joy for this week is a friend of mine who I was in a, an internship program with years ago. His name is Casper and he is an incredible podcast host on his own. He hosts a podcast called Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Love, love it. Love <laughs> For it. For those of you that are Harry Potter fans. Anyway, Casper and I both have a background in climate justice organizing and that kind of work. And now he is doing work on community and sort of the intersection of religion and community. And he went to divinity school. He's a brilliant thinker. And he has a site called How We Gather and produced a report on how people are gathering sort of outside of traditional religious institutions. So how millennials are looking to things like soul cycle and CrossFit and, uh, and community organizing and um, dinner parties, dinner, dinner parties. parties. Yeah. In order to Love sort it. of replace the benefits that they were once getting from a religious experience. And so it's a really fascinating report, whether you're religious or non-religious, I think this question of community and tribe fits in really well with, with Casper's work. And so we're not going to go into it, in too much detail, but we'll reference Casper's work in the show notes. And I would encourage all of you to read his main report called How We Gather. It's been referenced in the New York Times. It's gotten a lot of attention. And I think it's just a really powerful conversation that we should all be having about the the way that community and the nature of this tribal relationship is changing. And you as a leader of your own tribe, just to think about it from that perspective. So yeah, yeah, that's amazing work. And I love the whole Harry Potter stuff. Okay, so the hustle is, of course, the 1,000 True Fans article written by Kevin Kelly. It is so, so good. It's a fairly short read, but it's just every paragraph. I've got notes and scribbles and stars on every paragraph. There is uh, meaning in each one. So I highly recommend that you actually go and read the original source that we base this podcast on. And we will put that in the show notes, of course. Yeah, and we'll see you next week. Thanks, everyone. And don't forget, if you do have time to build our tribe, we're we're trying to build our tribe. So we would love for you to leave a review on iTunes. So if you head over to soulful.mba slash iTunes and give us an honest review, we would appreciate it. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Soulful MBA is not just the name of our podcast. It's also the name of our premium business course and community. If you are a wellness entrepreneur who dreams of growing your business online, but you're not clear on your next steps and you wish you had someone to guide you, then we've got something for you. Get Soulful MBA's first syllabus and three free video lessons by heading over to soulful.mba sample. Dun, 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 dun.